Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Unstoppable, the podcast. With me, your host, Kerwin Ray, and today we are getting in the Shark Tank, the deep blue waters with Steve Baxter from Australia's version of Shark Tank. What a lot of you may not know about Steve is at the age of 23, in 1994, he invested $11,000 of his savings in a startup that was an internet service provider business that he grew and ended up selling for a number of million dollars. And then in 2001, Baxter teamed up with one of his schoolmates, an Australian technology entrepreneur, Bevan Slatterly, to launch his second startup, Pipe Networks, which later sold to TPG for hundreds of millions of dollars. This guy is a mover and shaker in the entrepreneurial and the startup space. Not only has he got a wealth of experience which makes him a pedigree, he's also giving back at a very high level to Australian entrepreneurs and Australian startups with his success and his experience. This episode is sure to give you insights and ahas about Steve that you never even knew before. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a cup of coffee, get yourself jazzed because this is going to be one for you to remember. Listen up. Mr. Steve Baxter, the shark man. How are you, Steve? Good, thanks, Kurt. How's yourself? Yeah, good. Great to have you here. You've come down from Brisbane for this, so we, yep. we appreciate that. Um, for perhaps anyone in Australia or perhaps overseas, like a, a lot of people overseas who are listening to this may not know, you know, we have Shark Tank in Australia, but for those people who perhaps are overseas or don't know who Steve Baxter is, uh, what's, what's the breakdown? What's the short version of how we got to where we are today, mate? Oh, the short version is I started a couple of businesses, uh, one back in 1994, which was a, a dial-up internet service provider in Adelaide. Yeah, right. Um, sold that in 2000 and started another business in Brisbane in 2001 with a, the bloke I went to school with in Rockhampton. Um, we we listed that, we started that in 2001, we listed that in 2005, um, sold that in 2010. And I've been a, uh, an early stage investor and an advocate, I suppose, for entrepreneurs and early stage businesses ever since. So you're, you're quite a, and again, you're, you're a very humble guy, which is one of the things I appreciate you, but you're, you're quite a thoroughbred. So you've been in business now for, what are we talking, like 30 years? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> like 94. No, not quite 30 years. Yes. Actually, 2024, 94. No, 25 years, is that? But yeah, yeah, 25 years. And so I'm curious to know from you, like what, what back in the very early days of what you, when you got into business for yourself, like what was the, the driving force? What what was the motivator? Yeah, uh, um, so I saw an opportunity. I mean, I, I think that probably speaks to a lot of people. They see opportunity. Um, actually, Glenn on the show has, has a really good description. He calls it an, an entrepreneurial brain snap. So, um, you know, you're a technician. You know how to do something. So you figure you'll monetize it, uh, turn that into a business. Um, the, you know, I looked over someone's shoulder at a computer user group meeting and saw a web browser being used. Excuse me. I saw a web browser being used and I knew the world was going to change. You could just see that for the moment. Uh uh, you can actually interact with the server through this really, really easy system. And it changed a lot more than I thought it would, that's for sure. So uh, I don't know if I forgot the question I'm answering now. So how you got into business? Yeah, like I got into business, yeah. So um, so I saw that. I mean, I, w- I, was, I was a soldier, so I, um, I actually joined the army. Uh, I, I, was, I was living in Rockhampton, central Queensland. At 15 years old, I, I enlisted uh, in the army. So yeah, right. What's wrong with recruiting? What's worse than recruiting a fifteen-year-old? That's sign, <laughs> signing a nine-year contract. So, so you would have gone to Townsville, trained in Leverick Barracks? No, no, no. I went down to Victoria. So I okay. did a, an army. I, was, I did an electronics uh, uh, trade in the yeah, army. Okay, right. So did that down in Albury, uh, in Wodonga, okay. uh, on the border. Um, I ended up doing just shy of nine years, and then I had a really good boss who I started my business whilst I was still in, and it started going crazy. And I had a really good boss who let me out early, um, about six months or something like that, about probably five months early. Um, so 
uh, yeah, and you know, I saw an opportunity, and you, you just knew the world was going to change. Uh, modems were getting cheap. Um, you know, windowing systems were getting available. Um, the, the, the CGI common gateway interface, not computer, not, not computer graphics, but common gateway interface, yep. the way you actually interact with the server. There have been web browsers before, but you couldn't actually interact that well with a server except through static HTML. And the CGI uh, first version was, well, the first standard, I think draft they called them, was actually released. And I saw that being used and just thought, yeah, this is going to be amazing. Yeah, right. So you, you, you studied computer science with the Army? No, I didn't. Not with the Army. No. Um, so I, I was an electronics technician. Electric, you're right. Yeah, so the most things I, I was trained to fix a lot. I everything from, from missile systems to tank fire control to – I did a radiation protection course at Lucas Heights. So I was a sort yeah, of right. radiation protection officer. But for the most things I fixed were compasses and binoculars. No shit. Yeah, you know those so things that should point north but don't occasionally. <laughs> yeah, and the, right. You know, the thing to make things look bigger. So, yeah. So how was it when this came about? Were you still in the army when you had the interaction with this with the web browser for the first yeah, yeah, time? Yeah, very much. That was November. Uh, it was early in that. It was probably like June '94. Okay. Um. Uh. And um. We started. You know. We we spent the money in November '94 and got the business going. Um. So you started the business yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how much you started? Is this the business you started with? Eleven thousand in capital. Grand, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right. Home oh. loan deposit. A home cost one hundred twenty-five grand back then. That's pretty amazing. To right. Run. That's Adelaide as well. It's not. Uh, but that being, I like Adelaide. Don't go off. Your, don't go off your nana's at me. <laughs> but it, it doesn't tend to have as runaway house prices as the east coast, obviously. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, we did that. We actually started that. We installed fourteen phone lines into an army married quarter. Um, so the army were actually your first client. No, no, no. I we in, when you're uh, I was I was a. Um, I wasn't married at that point in time. We were recognised de facto, so we actually were qualified for a married quarter from the army. So we actually qualified oh, for a house. Oh right, got it. Uh, so a rental, a cheap rental, yep. effectively. Yep. Um, and um, um, you know, um, you weren't supposed to do things like that. You weren't supposed to run a business, let alone install fourteen phone lines in a house you didn't own. Um, so this it, was a side hustle. No, it was. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't bother asking permission because I knew the answer. So that was just a waste of conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> Rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah, they sort of never really found out. I actually, had half the unit on as customers in the end. That was fantastic. That's hilarious. So, um, yeah, started that, and you know things just went crazy. Um, uh, I was, I think our unit had about six what we call establishments. So it had six positions for my trade on on in their budget, so to speak. Yeah, and I was the only one there. And so when I sort of went there and said, look, boss, I want to get out, and my boss is quite rightly going, you, you know we are the only air defence unit for the for Australia. I probably can't let you do that, and which is a fair call. Yeah. And But he said, you know, if you, if you be a good boy, or well, not in these words, but you know if you be a good boy and we've got a large exercise coming up at mid-year, um, if you do that, then we'll uh, I'll put a good put a good word in and we'll see if we can get you out early when we get back. And he was true to his word. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. And uh, you it know, wasn't that good, but he's still true to his word. But so. did you get the business to a point where it was making like well, clearly you, you made money quite early on as a side hustle? But how, were you making reasonable money, or did you take a real punt to leave the army early? When you oh, the army back then was a fantastically well paid profession. You know, it was, yeah, that, it right. was well above average wage, it's for sure. Okay, so it's gone through its fits and spurts. It's, it's a lot better now. Um, so it was a risk, that's for sure. My wife yep. was a legal secretary, um, and she she came on as a, the bookkeeper for the business. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it was, we always made we always made money. We we could borrow. It was interesting too, right? So we could actually borrow from banks to actually fund our growth. Right, which is not something you can do much nowadays. Yeah, it's very difficult. So um, we'd often pay back our debts within. You know, we get like a three year personal loan, and we guaranteed against the equity in the house, which wasn't much. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we bought for one twenty five and sold for one eighty after six years. So you know, it wasn't there wasn't a great deal of equity in the house right, at any stage. Um. Uh. Yeah, we pay them back within like three or four months and just, it's a whole thing, you know, you go get your first loan when you don't need it. Yeah, exactly. That way the bank manager likes you, right? Yeah. And so when you do need one, he'll give you one, you know, in a hurry. 
So, um, and we probably got three or four loans over the time okay. to fund that business. So, yeah. So, first year annual revenues, what was that? Oh, Christ, that's a long time ago. <laughs> um, what's I a shark tank? What's a shark tank? I cannot recall. Well, I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, one of the things, because we work with a lot of businesses and, and, a, and a few startups as well, but one of the things that I hear from people, especially early stages, oh, mate, I don't know how to, you know, I need to stay motivated. And I'm just curious to know, like, what your drive was. Stay motivated. I mean, well, it was a bloody long time ago. Um, yeah. So, um, look, when you, I think when you burn your bridges, you've got some pretty good motivation. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, leaving the army, uh, I could have gone back, I suppose. I didn't really want to. Uh, I was keen to make that business work. And it just did. It never, it never, I, I get asked a lot of complex questions by people and, and they expect deep answers. Yeah. Um, and you, there's a few on the list you gave me here too, right? Which I'm like, I don't have to answer that. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Um, you know, people expect sort of Dalai Lama-esque answers. I can't give them. It's like, well, we just worked our ass off. Yeah. People well, walked in the door and wanted to give us money and we just took it off and we gave them better service. And you worked your ass off. Yeah. Have, have you someone, are you someone that where structure and discipline has come quite naturally? And the reason I ask this, I read an article. I used to work for a guy called Stephen Covey. He wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so we used to do a lot of work with, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And I remember an article was circulated, and I think this was actually back in 1996, and it was from a, an article in Forbes magazine in 92 where they'd basically gone through and researched the, the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies for the last 50 years of the top 5% Fortune 500 companies. And they're looking for patterns and identified three patterns. They said that, you know, the top CEOs of these companies, they had a background in either like elite um, competitive sports, not necessarily professional, uh, martial arts uh, and ex-army. There you go. Yeah. And I've always been really fascinated by that. And one of the things that, you know, that I've identified is there's an enormous level of structure and discipline in the army in order for you to, you know, adhere to the, the process of not getting, you know, put in the hole. But one of the things that I also see in business is, is in many cases, there's a lot of. <laughs> this isn't something you have. There's, there's an ad sale beside the window here, sorry. <laughs> the windows. So, this is fun. We said this. Like we've got fucking Spider Man coming down. <laughs> but uh, so I'm curious to know from you, and I guess I'm looking for two perspectives here. First of all, your perspective on what the Army gave you that perhaps maybe contributed to your success. But secondly, you know, with the early stage businesses that you've worked with, you know, you're obviously going to be starting to see patterns between the ones that are successful and the ones that aren't. Uh, so I'm curious if there's any kind of relationship that you've seen between, you know, the structure and the discipline and the order that the Army gave you and your ability to incorporate that in a commercial way. Um, look, the Army gives you lots of things. Um, it definitely gives you a work ethic. Um, I have a very low tolerance for people who don't turn up to work on time or who... who now, I don't mind how much piss you drink the night before, providing you turn up, you can do your job. Um, so, you know, the ability to function um, is pretty high. Um, knowing what you have to do, knowing what you have to do not to let your team down, um, mm. it's pretty important. Listen, I'm a huge fan of process and procedure. One of my favourite books is, is The E-Myth, which I'm sure you've read. Oh, I know Michael very well. Yeah, yeah, he's a good yeah. friend. So, um, you know, I, I didn't read that until, oh God, probably uh, 03, 04, I want to say. Right. But um, I'd probably been doing most of that before that anyway, just because it just ain't makes sense, right? Yeah. So, um, so what did the Army teach? Um, well, so I think it, uh, it it teaches a lot of bad things as well, and it's bad in a business environment in that, you know, you tend to take betrayal quite personally, which is which is tough, yeah. to be honest, because you don't do that shit in the Army. You just, you'll get, you, in, in wartime, you get murdered. Yeah. Right? So, and in the barracks, you'll come across very very bruised and bloody. You meet a few socks with a buzzer soap. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just, it's not the thing you do. Exactly. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. tend to get through much training if you're that sort of person anyway. So, um, 
but as a result in business where people sort of say it's just business, it's like, yeah, it's fucking not just business. You're being a, you're being you're a being dick, a dick right? yeah. yeah. So uh, maybe borderline alcoholism. Um, <laughs> maybe not borderline. Um, no, so... Uh, so the army, you know, it d- does give you structure, it gives you that discipline, it gives you, I, I think it gives you a, a, the, the appropriate sense of urgency. Yeah. Um, it biases you towards action, which I, I think is a, 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 I suppose, a property uh, of all entrepreneurs that I like, is that they're biased towards action. They don't sit down and stare at the belly button too long and just get the hell on and do it and, and figure it out as they go. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. Um, in, inside the realms of, you know, being clever, I, I like that attitude, so... And because you do a lot of early stage investment now, not just on Shark Tank, you have your own your own. Fu- I believe you have your own fund. Is that right? Oh, it's um, mostly it's, it's, it's our family money. Um, okay. we, we help manage some other funds, but uh, very small acceleration funds for the most part. And so, with the work that you've done on Shark Tank, with the work that you've done with the the fund that you've got, and just being in business in general, like what have you identified are like some of the key traits that are required? And I think you've probably hinted towards some of them already, but like. When you're looking at someone pitching you, like what are the characteristics within their personality that you're looking for? Yeah, you can't tell in an hour and a half. Yeah, you know, that's the most you'll get with them. Um, so, um, in general, we, we tend to look at people because people blow businesses up. To be honest, um, more than more than markets and other, and other external factors. Um, and then we look at the, you know the understanding of the market, the problem that they're actually trying to solve, and and you know the willingness of the market to pay to have that problem solved, and how much. And then the idea is like, yeah, the idea is like, well, your third idea is going to be one that works anyway, right? So yeah, it's right. not necessarily not necessarily the first one anyway. So, um, so the idea not so much. I mean, if you're a smart person with a, with a big problem in the big market, they're not going to have a dumb idea. Okay. If they are, they're going to change it pretty fast and something's clever. Yeah. But uh, I, I get uh, a lot of people walk up on the street now on Qantas lounges or an aircraft or something, and, and, and sort of say, I've got an idea, I'd like to pitch you, and I say, well, you should do it. I didn't even tell you. He said, well, I'm probably not your customer, so why the hell do you want my opinion? Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, it's the only one who gets an opinion in business is the customer. And that's the person you need to talk to fast, early and often. So that's that's very important. Okay. And in, in terms of, like, someone's ability, and again, I know this is going to be, sound like a rote question, but ideas, dime a dozen, execution, is, it, is, is that something that you're finding is quite rare? Oh, what does that say? Execution. <laughs> I fucking couldn't have. Jesus Christ! That's a, that's a Riversea Labs sort of. Uh, they're a Riversea Labs T-shirt. So look, execution is exceptionally important because yeah. it doesn't it, it matter if, if you're not executing. You're probably a university professor. Yeah, right. So um, you know, sit back and constantly invent things and never actually get them out there. Uh, you know, we don't need that. We need people actually, you know, uh, solving problems. Yeah, you know, necessities of other invention, invention and create necessity. Yeah. So, um, or rarely creates necessity. So. Uh, yeah, it's a, all that execution. You can't execute, you're screwed. Yep, okay. So your first business, you started it for $11,000. That business, is that the one you sold to TPG? No, sold that to uh, Aussie Mail in uh, 99. No kidding. Yeah. Do, you, do we mind if we ask the transaction value? Like what was it, what you sold it It was for? two tranches. Yeah. Um, so, Jesus, uh, I can't remember it now. Uh, the second one was based on a multiple. So, oh Christ, what was it? Did you I, do well? Yeah, we didn't do too bad. Um, <laughs> um, it, it was it was around about around about the five mil. Okay. Um, so, oh Christ, I, I honestly, that's terrible. I, I'd have to uh, I'd have to recall. I remember back in those days we had fifty percent CGT. We, there was no fifty percent discount on your capital gains tax. Right. So it wasn't wasn't 
as healthy a transaction, you know. So when you when you pay half that to the tax man, it's not as it's much. It's actually gutting, to yeah. be honest. So about eight months later, it changed, right, for the oh, you discount. Kidding. No, I only wish I was. Let me right. tell you. So look, you know, can't complain. If you like where you are now, you honestly can't change a single part of your past, right? Yeah. Because that's just going to wreck everything. So right, we are lucky uh, in many cases that that worked out. So um, yeah, I think was, oh, cross. I have to remember. Sorry. No, that's cool. So let's call it. You sold it for a couple million bucks, mm. and you know, and for some people, it's like okay, that's the holy grail. Whether it's two million or two hundred million, you know, to exit a business, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's like very few people actually do that successfully and come away with actually, you know, more money than what they've actually spent to get it to where it was. What was the first thing? Did you did you go and buy something? Did you did you like right? What's next? Like what what was what was going through your head? Um, well, we'd already paid the house off. Uh, we had an investment property. We'd purchased at least one, I think. Um, came back to Brisbane after we sold that business, and we came back to Brisbane. It was an Adelaide-based business. Okay. Um, Are your roots in Brisbane? You're a busy boy. Yeah. Yeah. Brisbane. Okay. Um, or Queensland, anyway. But yeah. So, um, we came back. And we bought up. You know, bought a house to live in. Yeah, found a nice house down on the on the, on the bay in Brisbane. Uh, put some money into managed funds. Some Wally at a one of the big four banks lost half that for us. God bless them. That's where I got to not trust those sort of people. <laughs> um, and, uh, mate, this is too long ago. I, <laughs> no idea. I mean, we, 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 we had enough, enough uh, left over. So took, we, I think uh, Bev and I, we both put initially about 50 grand in the hat to start pipe. And I think it got to about 130 each of us from lo- in loans in, yeah. which we paid back down about 50 or 60 at, at float time. So, um, so I had enough, definitely enough left over for that. But yeah, we had good holidays and stuff. And, okay, you know, did you? Because I'm going to imagine, like, because how long were you building that business before you sold it? Uh, we're in that business six, six years. years. Yeah. Was there a significant amount of sacrifice, like in terms of not taking holidays, like working extra? Oh yeah, hours? first first year, eighteen months, we probably we wouldn't, you know, didn't pay ourselves much. Um, you know, we took probably a couple of years to get moved past the average wage, thirty grand. And I think at the end, you know, that's interesting. Um, we. Uh, there's lots of sacrifice, right? You know, I went from about the size I am now, went from about 85 kilos up to 130 kilos. So I looked, didn't look after myself. I've never been the most naturally fit bloke ever, to be honest. Yeah, so, right. And when you're working six and a half days a week and there's okay. a Hungry Jacks and McDonald's down the bottom of the hill <laughs> on the way home, it's... That's you know, a liability. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, you know, so one regret I've had was probably my health. I don't think it's going to keep me in good stead in, in my later years, to be honest. But, you know, I've fixed that now. But, uh, you know... Uh, I think a lot of people make too much of a big deal of health. That's a weird thing to say. So um, you see health fanatics. Get, give me the shits. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, they're like culinary and, and health fucking Marxists. Health um, is, it was one of those things. It's only really important when you lose it, you know? It, it is, but you can go too far. I mean, I've, I've known some exceptionally healthy people who have heart attacks of 38. Yeah, true story. So, um, I mean, it, there's a lot that's not deterministic, right? And, 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 and I suppose when I go this, you get the whole food trend thing, right? The food trends is... 15, 20 years ago, it was the, the food pyramid, which we now know is fucking giving us glu- uh, glucose, giving us what I call diabetes, diabetes the yeah. whole thing, right? So, I mean, got to be very careful with these food trends. Oh, they really disturb me, food trends. Yeah, right. We crawled out of the caves because we ate, you know, we ate the occasional red meat and, you know, we, and we occasionally gathered berries because berries were harder to gather, right? Animals are easier to kill than, than to farm. So we grew as a species because we had certain things. So you yeah. just can't throw millions of years of evolution away and think that, well, because we're, we're here now, it's all different. Yeah. Um, also, I don't think it's calamitous. Don't get me wrong, but you know, just leave people leave people to live their lives. And I don't know what it is with fitness and food. People just get so freaking obsessive. Oh, they just preach at you. Yeah, as you can see from Shark Tank, I get. I was going to imagine you've probably seen a lot of it coming through. Oh yeah, you get. Is that a turn off for you? That's one industry that's a bit of a turn off for you. Um, 
Look, not necessarily, to be honest. Okay. There was one really good vegan, uh, uh, it was pre-prepared vegan meals, actually. We've actually got them in the fridge at home. They're fantastic. Well, you know, I put meat and pulled pork and bacon and <laughs> shit with them because that makes them taste better. <laughs> but uh, for me, one thing I learned my weight loss journey was that carbohydrates are just the evilest thing ever. Yeah. And if I'm going to have carbohydrates, I'll save them for beer. Yeah. So... Um, Invest wisely. Yeah. So, you know, and, and they have, they're exceptionally low. They're like all full of pulses and stuff. So they're very low, very low carb meals, which is... Yeah, they taste good. Yeah, right. So I don't give a you know I don't, I don't really care what they are. I'll, I'll eat food because it tastes good or some other reason. But yeah. Because because some part of the society says it's fodmap or gluten or vegan or whatever. I'm just like I can care less. Who fucking cares as long as it tastes good? Yeah. Something you mentioned earlier um, in your first business, you said it like took maybe three or four years before you took more than a thirty thousand dollar wage out mm. of the business. Um, what I'm curious to know is, I'm going to assume the business was making money during those three or four mm. years. What were you doing with that surplus money that you oh, weren't employing people and growing? Okay, yeah, I mean right. it was a hell of a business. It was if you lost money being and that we you know we started we were probably the twentieth ish ISP in Australia, um, and by, you know at one point there by the time we probably exited we were probably it was probably eight hundred and at the peak it got to about twelve hundred, and then got, you know back down a couple of years after it got down to a few hundred. So it was a big boom bust business. Let me tell you. Um, and if you couldn't make money doing that, you just—it was cash cow. Mm. I mean, we used to drive down to the the bank th- like twice a day, and probably bank about you know thirty grand a day. So uh, we had a, we had a shop front, literally shop front people would come in because there's yeah, no, right. no online, right? The right. credit card stuff didn't work. Yeah. Well, you know, for the first good few years, I didn't. You know, there was a lot of stuff that didn't. A lot work. of cash business. People had to, people mail money in or, or all the rest. Of, yeah, oh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> EFTs were hard. Mail order internet. I fucking yeah, love EFTs it. EFTs were hard. The whole yeah. thing. So yeah. Okay, because I, I am curious to know if reinvestment is something that you see is lacking in a lot of early stage entrepreneurs in this day and age. Like, because you know, we I think the internet has bred a lot of things that have been very good, and I think it's also bred some balance in the equation where people get used to being able to access information at the drop of the hat, and they get this almost this instant gratification mentality where they think they're entitled to have what they want very quickly, whether it be information or fucking, you know, uh, vegan meals online. But what I am, I do see a little bit, but I'm more curious, not my perspective, yours. Do you see people more interested in taking money out of the business than reinvesting it into the business as an issue that prevents people from actually scaling? Uh, we tend to ignore those people now. We've learned very early that if, if you're a founder once they paid a high wage or you know, you're currently on 200000 bucks a year, therefore you've got to maintain that. How yeah. possibly can you leave your, business, your job That's and start a fucking a red flag, isn't it? Oh, it's an absolute red yeah. flag. It, it's just runaway screaming. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so that, that is it's one of our, uh, I had another important point to make there, which I've forgotten. Um, so you don't tend to see that other than in the wages, to be honest. Yeah, it, it tends to be most most prevalent there. So um, you know, people we you know some red flags for us when we're doing due diligence is you know if you've got personal expenses mixed up with your business, it's just dead to us. Yeah. Um, if you've got a shoebox full of receipts, you can go and get sorted. Yeah. Um, you know, you shouldn't be doing that sort of stuff, right? So there's some absolute red flags for us when we're looking at businesses about why we just will walk away regardless of anything else. <clears throat> and what stage is financial management important to a business? Definitely when you've got someone else's money in it. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, I had a really good um, – <laughs> this is gonna, this, there's a bit of irony in what I'm going to say next. So, yes, it's very important. It's that important in our first business that we, we, we chose our first accountant wisely. He was the closest one to our house. <laughs> so, um, location, 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 location. Yeah, yeah, but you know, he ended up being the best thing ever. You know, he was, he was a, a suburban CPA. Yeah, right. right. So, um, so he, he gave some great advice. And the last piece of advice he gave was this, is, this business is too big for me. Go get a real accountant. 
them so you know fired himself because he knew he wasn't appropriate which is which is you know, a sign of an awesome professional right? mm. so um uh and one other piece of advice he's got is you know never, never use your business as a cash register at the end of the day you pay you know you get your revenue you pay your staff you pay all your bills you know you pay yourself a real wage or whatever you determine that to be with respect to reinvestment and then any of that money you take as a dividend right you just don't pull it out of the top end so and you see lots of people doing that well, we don't so much. As soon as we see it, we just stop working on them. Yeah, just walk away. And there's lots of investments out there. We'll just look at something else. Apple is a famous for, and I fucking, I'm going to get this number wrong, but I hope I get it right. I think they have about 280 million, 86 million dollars in cash. Billion. Billion. Sorry, that's one of my. I knew I was going to get it wrong. Uh, it was a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, billion in cash sitting in the business. And I remember early stage, like when I first saw that or first started reading about that, like this is maybe going back a decade ago, I was like, okay, I honestly think there's something in that. Um, but I'm curious to know from your perspective how, and again, this Well, they have that cash in the business because America's got such a poor uh, uh, system for returning dividends to shareholders. Right? Yeah, I mean, right. In Australia, we have imitation credits, which means you see a lot of the, and that's, the, that's a problem as well. Yeah. So you see a lot of the excess cash that businesses generate. Or, or retain, um, get paid back out to, to shareholders because it makes sense because you get that imputation credit, right? Yeah. The US don't have that. So as a result, businesses tend to keep cash because otherwise too much gets wasted or paid in tax. So um, they'll keep that to grow yep. instead, which is which is sort of good, right? Well, so that, that's more where I'm going. Like to me, it seems like an incredible insurance policy where you know if you've got whether it be a two hundred eighty six billion dollar you know cash buffer or a ten million cash buffer or a two hundred thousand cash buffer. Like to me, it seems like, and I'm just curious on your perspective, it seems to me like it's very good business practice not to be constantly trying to suck all the money out of the business, whether it be for mm. reasons for scale or, you know, just trying to service your own. A, there's the fat Labrador syndrome too, right? You'd know that way, wouldn't you? Where people get fat and bloated and lazy. Well, you know, dogs will eat what you give them. Yeah. If you uh, know what I mean. Yeah, you take right. the food away, they'll get lean. Yeah, right. So, um, and in the business sense, um, for me, the fat Labrador, sorry for Labrador owners, the fat Labrador <laughs> That's the syndrome. Best I, heard it. I love it. That's good. Fat Labrador syndrome is, you know, yeah. to, if you want the animal to be fit, you, you give them less food. So if you want your business to be lean, you don't you don't sit there and say, oh, we missed sales this month. Bugger. Oh, we'll get it next month. That it, Because we've got enough money in the bank, who gives a shit, we'll still make payroll. Yeah. Right? No. No. You've got to be lean and then it's like, holy shit, we've only got like six weeks worth of money in the bank. We can't do that again. Yeah. You know, and so taking out an, enough to keep that business really super lean. Yeah. Um, and you do that in very. You don't have to literally take it out. But you yep. have to, you know, make it available. Psychologically to, speaking. Well, yeah, make it available to operating part of the company. But yeah. you know, if you're constantly going to underwrite losses in the business because you're just lazy, oh well, I'll whip the team next week. If you know what I mean. Instead, then you know there's 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 there's, there's thoughts both ways. I understand where you're coming from, but there's, yeah. there's a fat Labrador sort of school of thought. I, I think that's that's a great point to round it off. Jim Collins calls it productivity paranoia. I don't know if you've read Great Boy Choice. Um, I don't actually read business books. I, I, try, I try to avoid business books like The Plague. Yeah, right. Well, I, I read so many excerpts and articles and all this, you know, you yeah. can do it online. You know, you read so much crap online every day. Not crap stuff. Um, so if I'm going to actually read books, um, I'm going to do it because I enjoy it. So I like zombie apocalypse. I like space <laughs> sci-fi. I yeah, like right. post-apocalyptic, you know, alternate universe stuff so fantastic and i read them you listen to them on audio books okay right but yeah so i read very few business books um mostly just because like i just don't yeah can't be bothered well he talks jim collins talks to your point the fat labrador but he he calls it the productivity paranoia uh and he refers to bill gates famous memo of I, i think it was in 1998 where they just had their biggest year ever and Bill Gates wrote the night, my nightmare email. I don't know if you've, you've heard of this, where he wrote an email, the memo went out to the entire team because everyone's like celebrating. Yeah, we just had our biggest fucking year ever, Fat Labrador. 
And he goes, he goes, guys, I just want to share with you a dream that I had last night. I woke up from my dream last night where Apple came in and they completely overtook our market. We started losing customers. We started losing revenue. And he painted this nightmare scenario that when you read it, like, holy fuck. Like it actually like, you know, kind of shakes a, an employee to the core um, to keep people lean, to keep mm. people sharp. But I'm curious to know if that's more of a like a like a capital principle or a psychological principle or, or more of a combination of both. Because um, to me, like I, I like I, I'm a big fan of cash buffers, but I run my business like I'm going broke. Even when we have, even if we have millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank, I run the business as if I'm going broke. Oh, I've seen your offices here, mate. It's awesome. You must have millions in the bank. <laughs> Look at this. We actually well. Yeah, well, there you go. Um. But we smart. Like, but to, get, to give you context, we only moved into this in August of last year. We scaled in this little 167 square meter office for like seven years, where we had people fucking working in the in the yeah, broom I'm closet. The piss, mate. I'm just pulling the piss. It's all good. Um, so, look, when you're on top, of, you know, when you're in a position like Microsoft was, yeah, um, probably still are now. Um, you've got to be self aware of your competition. I mean, that's just. That's very prudent. I think, I, think, I think that's just a CEO being very prudent, saying, "Guys, we're not as good as we think we are. Right? We're we one hit away from being, um, you know, irrelevant, which is what Google almost did to them, right? Which is why they fought so hard against Google and Netspace, um, Netscape, excuse me, um, and, and others like it. So, which is why they got smashed up so bad in the antitrust stuff as they should have been. So, um, now I think this is very prudent. Um, but I think nowadays, and we call this disruption, right? You can be aware of disruption. It's a bit of a bit of a throwaway term. But um, uh, it's also one of the reasons that I like supporting early stage and advocate on behalf of early stage businesses is because if you're running business, and there's very little like the government, for example, or policy can do to affect what the hell you do. It's like government, keep the hell out of my way. I'm just selling stuff. I'm doing a good job. Employing people piss off. Um, the one thing you do take notice of is someone stealing your customers and your revenue. Mm. Right. So from my perspective, when I talk to government and policymakers, I'm like, let's not care about running businesses except to take regulation away from the poor bastards because there's too much of it. Let's just concentrate on actually getting more people to start new businesses and let's not make sure they're well educated and they've got the right business mindset and just let them go. They'll do the, they'll do the innovation. They're, they're the innovation grains of sand in the oyster. Right. Mm. So um, and if you know, the, the big guys don't fix their shit up, then these guys will take their business and that's all well and good because if you don't, if you don't react to your customer, you don't deserve the customer. So, um, yeah, very prudent of Bill Gates, and you know nowadays that's more that modern disruption which is being you know forced onto people by smaller companies. Yeah, right. So, um, when you sold the first company, how long did it take before you decided to put your toe back in the water? Um, so, came back to Brisbane, two thousand. Yep. Um, late it was late two thousand. So, um, so early two thousand one, um, we you know, I went and got a job fourteen weeks. I was pro- programming routers at Double APT. Yeah, right. Yeah. What? What kind of? What's? How did oh, that? I just wanted happen? to decant. You know, I okay, just yeah. over it. Yep. Um, I really like being Bit on the tools. Bit burned out, maybe, or yeah, probably. Look, um, I, I like being on the tools. To be honest, right. you know, there's some big networks around, and uh, one part of me wanted to see how big a companies did it. Yeah, and right, the answer smart. is poorly. Um, Which is so the way. didn't last there very long at all. Um. I can tell you some toe-turning tale. I mean, I think I started work there. I started work there the, 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 the day before September 11 happened, if you know oh. what I mean, to give you some context. And so, um, and the world changed at that point, right? Lots, lots of stuff happened. I still remember seeing the, the, the big network operations center, double APT, where they basically turned off all the network responding. They had these huge big screens in there. Instead of the, the network on there, they had the, the news coverage, which is sort of ridiculous. But, you know, it was, it was amazing to see. Um, and... Uh, that sort of taught me that these big guys are just literally are clueless. They're actually really, really bad. Um, and then um, um, 
caught up with an old, old schoolmate from Rocky, um, kicked some ideas around. I'd actually, I'd actually a lot of uh, pipe networks I'd actually done at my first business in South Australia. So we built um, peering and interconnected exchanges, which is you know a, a sort of wholesale. Um, uh, it's a wholesale telecommunications product that providers use to connect to each other. Um, a little bit of data center stuff, and that, that was the sort of genesis of pipe networks. Right. Um, and yeah, we started that in in November two thousand and one. Right. And uh, your own capital. Yeah, yeah, own capital. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was your starting capital to get that business? Going? Yeah, it was a fifty grand each. So yeah, right. Okay. Grand. I think we got up to like one hundred and thirty grand each at one point. We right. could have paid that down about seventy by the time we listed. Okay. So we did that. We started. You know, we we rented a, we rented some space about one hundred, probably two sixty meters, one hundred sixty meters, something in Brisbane, uh, and we built a small data center, small office, uh, and we when we started connect customers, um, not very well at first. It took a while. Um, fat Labrador syndrome. We had like I think we had about twelve months rent free, and so that, that got us a little bit sort of complacent. Lazy. And you know, as the we got six months into the rent free, we're like, oh shit, we better go and do something. <laughs> we better find some customers to pay for this jaunt. Um, uh, and then you know, one thing led to another. We got um, uh, a lot of requests for customers to 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 get you know better value, higher speed connectivity services, and we started getting in the dark fiber. So we actually started building our own telecommunications networks. And that was, you know, that was fantastic. It was, it was, it was hard, you know. It was bloody, really, really good um, money. So we used to, you know, back in the time there, for like a hundred megabit service across town, for example, from Optus or Telstra, they charge corporate customers like sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars a month. It's fifty grand set up, fifteen, sixteen thousand bucks a month on a three-year contract, right? And it'd be like seventy grand to build this. You could literally dig the street up and build it for seventy thousand bucks. So we, you know, we worked that out and we went to these customers and said, well, you know, what we'll do is we'll charge you $70,000 once up and, you know, 2000 bucks a month. And, um, you know, just got to pay us up front because we had no money to build it. And yeah. um, so we, we, used, we used customers to manage our cash flow. Strange concept, you know, cash is really easy when you get it from customers. Yeah, um, and, yeah, we did lots of that basically. Yeah, and just kept building network and building network and building network. The thing is we'd put in a, a fibre cable which had 216... Uh, or probably half that, or probably 144 potential customers on it. You could put on it, and we'd sell that first customer got one of those hundred. So you had 143 customer routes left, and so our subsequent sales on that route were like 99% gross margin. It was just you could only make more money by selling drugs. It was just fantastic. Wow. So not that I know what drugs go for, yeah. But um, really good business. That um, data centers uh, in 2006 ish, we started looking at. Um, um, international connectivity. We ended up building a submarine cable from Sydney to Guam. So, um, yeah. and you guys fully self-funded all this? No, we we listed in two thousand and five. Okay, so, so we it started in two thousand and we started in two thousand one. Two thousand one. Um, listed two thousand and five. Yeah, we did. It, we did our first. This is why I get a bit. I get a bit dirty on 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 some of the valuations that entrepreneurs put on businesses. It's ridiculous. We did, we did our first. Yeah, we did our first um, capital raising in November ninety November oh four uh, pre IPO capital raising raised half a million bucks on on a. On a five mil post, um, say ten percent of the company, easy number. We were forecasting to have eight hundred ninety thousand bucks net profit after tax for that following June thirty. Right. And we How screwed, much? Uh, eight ninety. Right. Uh, and we screwed up. We said one point four mil. Right. So um, and so you look at that when you work out yeah, five to one PE ratio for Christ's sake, right? For that investment, um, it's, and that's net profit after tax, not some other bullshit form of profit like EBIT or EBITDA or yeah. whatever it might be. Um, we ended up listing for, um, oh, I get this wrong, we, were, we raised three and a half mil, I'm pretty sure it was three and a half mil and we, I think it was post money, it was about a 12, excuse me, it was a 14 mil valuation post money. Yeah. So, um, 
Uh, we ended up raising $90 million in equity for that business over the years and $40 million bucks in debt. So um, it was good. But, you know, we, How we, much of it did you guys give away, like to the point where you – We didn't give away. We sold it. We Sorry. How much equity did you – Good, <laughs> great correction. How much equity did you ultimately dilute yourself down to, you, you and your partner? We're, we're about 13% involved for almost 14% right. I want to say. So, was yeah. that before selling out to TPG then? Yeah. Yeah, right. So um, – uh, yeah, it's about a th- I think it's about nine hundred shareholders in the company at that point. I want to say well, it wasn't that many because all the all the hedge funds came in. Something we were trying to get five. The, the, the buyout was for like six dollars thirty. I think we we're trading about six twenty, and so all these hedge funds came in just to make that ten cents on the, the share sale at the right. end. And uh, all, all these funds, not so much hedge, fu- hedge funds, and all the brokers didn't exactly cover themselves for glory because they went to their customers who were going to you know on the Tuesday were going to actually basically get a six dollar thirty check, and they went to the customers on the Monday and said. Guys, well, this may not happen. It's six twenty now. You should take it now. Which I get that, except they didn't say because if I sell it, if I sell it for you today, I get a commission. If they sell it, get sold tomorrow, I get no commission. So these guys are just turning over shareholders' equity, which is not untypical of stockbrokers. Excuse yeah. me, I've got no rule. You know, I think as a class, they, cool? they, they, they lack some morals. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. And so then you, you ended up selling out what year to TPG? Was that? That was, it was 2010. Well, we, it was 2010. late 2009. It, it, it settled in March 2010. And that was a, a $373 million sale. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's massive, mate. It was fun. You know, it yeah. changes the um, changes the game. You, when you see your bank balance tick over, it's interesting, that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what was the first thing you did after you sold? What, was there something you always wanted to do? I did, I did a print screen right. and stuck it to the wall. There's <laughs> <laughs> no check or anything, right? So, yeah, right. Um, uh, I sort of said, look, we're not going to do anything for six months. Okay. Uh, anything, anything big. Yep. So, you know, we, uh, we bought a holiday house up in the Sundays, which we've still got. Um, we bought, I bought a plane. I oh, see so you're, um, you're a pilot. Yeah. yeah. Right. So um, I learned to fly when I was in the US. So I actually left as a full-time exec of Pipe in 2008. I uh, went work with Google in California for a year, um, right. building building sort of multi terabit files works between as an over, overqualified intern or no no um, I didn't finish my, I, I didn't finish high school right. so um, no I was I was um, exceptionally underqualified to be yeah, honest there was right. all sorts of problems getting me there because I didn't have a master's degree in computer science and this whole thing so they that broke their heads, um, but they, you know, they they headhunted me effectively I suppose to some degree um, it made it all work um, so. I know I built sort of, you know, multi-terabit data systems and uh, uh, um, networks between their sort of big secret data centers, effectively. So I tried to. It was a bit hard internally. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, and I learned to fly when I was um, living in California in uh, uh, 08, 09. Right. So, which is an amazing place. To and so it. you've still got your plane now? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what do you fly? one now. So um, I've got a uh, twin commander, so it's a... High wing twin turbine, uh, a small version of a Qantas Link aircraft would be the best description for yeah, it. Yeah, right. Um, but it's nice. It does, you know, it's about three quarters the speed of a jet. And it. Um, What's your range? Uh, so it's about, about a thousand nautical miles. So That's it, great. It, it's Australia, right? There's no fuel where you land, essentially. So you can't often do that. But right. There's typically no fuel where you land if you're going to interesting places anyway. So there's airfields with no fuel. So, you know, you've just got to stop somewhere on the way and pick up some gas and land with some gas so you can... Because I actually bought it to go from Brisbane to the Gulf of Carpentaria to my favourite fishing island, a place called Swears, and which has a nice airfield there. And, and we go there once a year and, and get on the... Uh, have, have a boys outing, you might say, and um, <laughs> do some fishing. And uh, so it's my Gulf of Carpentaria fishing machine. So you can put five fat fishermen in it and go, go fishing. And I, can, I can fly from Brisbane to there in one go, but I just can't take off again because I won't have enough fuel, right? <laughs> so I stop using Hewenden or Richmond or something on the way. Yeah, right. About two thirds, pick up fuel, stop there on the way back. And Not a bad fishing boat, hey? 
It's not bad, you know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's a good wagon. Um, you know, a good rough. You know, you can land on some pretty shit unimproved trips. You know, that's why jets are hard in Australia. If you want to really yeah. get out and see Australia, you, you yeah, know, a lot of these places you you could put the jet down once, but it's fucking not taking it's off. Not again. getting it off. Yeah. yeah. So how many hours have you got up so far? Oh, I don't know. You should add them up. I think it's probably about a thousand. Mate, that's yeah. excellent. Well done. Yeah. So what do you do as a as a with flying fishing? Getting fat with your friends on fishing trips. What 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 else do you do to defrag? Like, how do you unwind? Um, well, in the last five years, we've got a family now. In the last, we finally sort of managed to have kids. So, we, in the last five, we, our daughter's five. Our eldest daughter's five. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Forty-seven. Okay, yeah, right. Um, and our uh, we got a pair of twins at eighteen months as well. Shit, what's today? Yeah, eighteen months <laughs> in a couple of days. Um, so five-year-old and two and a set of twins. Yeah, a set of twins. Yeah. And um, what what lessons have you taken from business that do you think have made you a better father? Mm, shit. Or vice um, versa. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I hope I'm a good father. Um, pretty sure I am, but it's up to others to judge, I suppose. I'm rooting for it? you, pal. Um, look, uh, in, at a business there, probably none. More from a family and stuff. Right. You know, Not even any stuff. like it from a leadership perspective. Um, well, I'm I'm terrified. I'm going to going to somehow mentally and or you know occupationally break our daughters. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's that's actually. And I'm starting to think a lot more about that about resilience questions and things like that. So, uh, I don't. There's know a great book that was written by a guy called James Oliver on parenting called "They Fuck You Up." <laughs> <We're kind> of <laughs> but uh, the beautiful thing is, you know, kids are quite resilient, but we do yeah. play. There is such an enormous responsibility that we have by becoming conscious of the environments and the language that we use when we raise kids because you know the, the wounds that we create for them are the wounds that they have to ultimately deal with yeah um so i, I had a business probably none you know what i mean so um nothing nothing i can put my finger on nothing definitive nothing yeah. material um so uh so you know what I do is you know in the last five years I've been looking after family I suppose you know that's it's a different speed yeah it is you know yeah. you can't we had a, we had a, we we had a long time on on the uh, the family journey um so in the in the meantime we did a lot of traveling around the world and we lived in the US for a year we um you know we've been to the you know I've been to the cricket Caribbean the uh, excuse me the World Cup in the Caribbean two thousand and seven that was fantastic you know we've just done some great holidays too yeah right so we've we've managed to travel quite a bit which has been fantastic. Not so much now. We've got kids. It's yeah. just you know, it's we do, but it's just just tougher. It's just you know, we got one in school, so it's a bit you know, you yeah. wait for school holidays. Well, it sounds to me like you've you've actually done it kind of smart. Like you've you know, you've got all the, <laughs> the <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> do you like sometimes wish you had a bit more energy in the tank? Because um, look, you know, families happen when they happen. So ours, ours, ours yeah. we, we didn't wait for ours. We we worked at ours for for like a, well over a decade. Yeah, right. So, um, uh, so, yeah. so it was hard for it. Yeah, look, you know, uh, everything, everything, everything's worthwhile is hard for it, I suppose. Yep, so, true. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't plan it that way. And I'm, I'm, you know, as being a dad first up at 42, I was petrified and doing it again at 46, where the hell I was in the last two turned up. I'm just like, fuck, what am I doing? <laughs> um, I, I want to be there for them when, when, when they grow yeah, up. And, okay. you know, at some point I'm not going to be, we're all not going to be at some point, right? And that's just going to... Do you enjoy being your dad? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much. It's hard. It's confusing. Um uh, they have kids. I don't know about boys, but I've only got girls. But they have a very much of a, a, a better, um, much more different attachment to their mum to their dad. Um, and you know, for the first year or two, they're just crying shit bags, and tea bags, <laughs> right? How beautiful! Don't get me wrong, but it's hard. It's hard to get some. It's hard to get any sort of feedback in any. Steve's next book, which is called Parenting One Hundred and One from <laughs> from Zero to Twelve Months, is coming out surely in bookstores everywhere. Just smear with feces on the front. <laughs> um, so. 
Yeah, no, I enjoy being a dad. No, it's good. It's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm still I'm sort of caught between sort of trying to do other things and, and, and be a dad at the same time. So, Are you still quite busy now, like with the work that you're doing? Yeah, I am. And I've got, you know, I am. Um, and I've only got myself to blame for that. So, yeah. uh, You like being busy? Yeah, I think so. Bit of a workaholic kind yeah. of perspective? Or? Um, I, I don't like doing nothing at home. So yeah. even if I wasn't doing work, I'd be doing something else. Yeah. So... Uh, I don't know what that'd be. Maybe I should use my boat more often. I've got a sort of thirty foot fishing boat. I don't use often enough. It's just sitting there, sort of dissolving into the water. I imagine. I mean, <laughs> pretty sad what we do to our toys. So, uh, yeah, I'd have to be doing something. That's yeah. for sure. So, look, you've you've clearly made an enormous amount of money in your career. You know, you've had an enormous experience. You know, you're now a father later in life, which is great as well. But what is it that drives you now? Like, are you do you have a conscious connection with what drives you, or are you autonomously just driven to, to wake up and do the things that you do every day? Um, yeah, probably the second one. Okay. Uh, what drives me? You know, I, I, I do enjoy working with um, people who, um, you know, younger not younger, you know, entrepreneurs, early stage businesses, and they're typically younger people who are out there to change the world. I get in a lot of trouble for talking about young people all the time, and all the old people get all cranky. Which is funny, actually. I just do it to set them <laughs> off. I think. Um, but the reason I like younger people is is that they typically have personal runway, so they can, you know, live at home on the couch yeah. at mum and dad's place and eat ramen noodles. So they don't have a wife and or a partner and kids and a mortgage and and, and they haven't. They also don't know what's impossible. You know, they haven't actually lost that spark. They actually, well, I want to try crazy shit that might actually work. So you know. Um, so we need them. We need them with, with a bit of fearlessness. And as you get older, you tend to know that. You know, you tend to get cynical. I think personally. So there's lots of attributes to young people that, that, that make them more backable, which doesn't mean old people aren't backable. Yeah. Just young people are more backable. So you've worked with like early stage seems to be a lot of your focus right now. Do you work much with established businesses? Uh, I have in the past, uh, but, but uh, not so much. I mean, a, a large part of our portfolio sits off in traditional, you know, uh, investments. You know, so it's, it's only a smaller part that sort of plays over in this space. Okay. So, uh, so traditional business investments, you mean, or traditional? Oh, traditional investments. So we got right. Macquarie Private and someone yeah, else, and gotcha. some, you know, okay. and, uh, got, got a few managers there. So um, they, you know, they they sit there and we give them a target interest rate, and they come back and they get it, and you know, it allows us to sort of, you know, uh, keep doing what we're doing, I suppose, in some respects, day to day, and and then you know, in this sort of more hot and frothy um, early stage spaces, when we we deploy, we've only got limited funds to deploy. We're not, uh, you know, we're not. There's no endless funds there. We, I don't want to deploy other people's money. That just, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. So have you only invest your own capital. Yeah. yeah. So we, we have we have raised some small funds from high net worth um, for for our accelerator in Brisbane. So we've okay. Put, we put about twenty two or twenty three teams over three years through a program. Okay. Um, that we only raised two point. No, actually, I don't know. I think it's two point three or three point two. Right. Um, so that was sounds like seed investment for those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, you know, yeah. So I'm I'm one of the 31 investors. In that we got some really good people involved in that, and so it's more a way to hold tie people to mentorship, to be honest, uh, or maybe you know, golden handcuff them to mentorship. How do you find that accelerator space? You know, because I considered playing there for a while with excess cash, but uh, you know, obviously the delinquency rate and the failure rate is so incredibly high. Of those 220 odd businesses that you work with, like. What's the hit rate? Twenty two. Sorry, twenty two. Sorry, yeah, fuck. yeah. yeah. I was gonna Great say with shit. numbers. Yeah, 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 I have a bookkeeper for a reason. Um, like of those twenty two businesses, like what, what's been the hit rate so far? Um, I'm assuming they're all early stage. They all were. Oh yeah, very early stage. Yeah, yeah. so we're just talking, you know, sixty to hundred thousand dollar investments on roughly you know a million dollar sort of top yeah. line, which is you know probably overvalues some, undervalues others. Okay. Um, so uh, if you look at a straight mark to market on that, so if you know you look at the, the last time they sold shares, which is how you should value a portfolio. 
Um, but it's doing quite well. It's doing well over thirty percent year on year. Well, in in that respect, and there's no li- no li- liquidity events out of them yet, okay. so that's all all at risk still. Okay. Um, and we just started the last cohorts. We just had the last eight out of those twenty two. Um, shouldn't say with the first five. There's probably twenty seven. Sorry, but yeah. Um, uh, we've got you know we've got some businesses there just absolutely hitting out of the park. To be honest, so um, yeah, value rate's high. Um, okay. Take a portfolio approach. Um, the, the 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 one of the reasons one of the ways we sell we've sold it to people and when we're actually talking about the investment is the fact that you know you can go out there and invest in three or four startups or you can you know take 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 a, a chunk of this this fund and effectively get uh, we we tried to do um, three cohorts of ten and we weren't just doing any ten so we we, we still waited six in the first one we did, there was a five there was a six there was a seven I'd say we got eight how's that for progression um, so. Uh, we 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 pick the portfolio. We've actually have uh, other funds, non-investment funds, get deployed to actually accelerate them. So there's an investment fund which does the equity, and then there's actually a, an operations side which actually in, in invest in people and teams to help them out. Yeah. And those and that does not pay for any of the investment. So it, it's a lot of leverage in the fund as well, a lot of leverage in the operation. Yeah. Right. So two biggest mistakes you see businesses making, whether it be early stage or otherwise, you're not validating fast enough. So, you know, the only person that gets to say if your idea is good is the customer and that's yep. only if they've used your product. Yeah. So validate as early as you can, as inexpensively in, 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 in as you can. That's not possible in all businesses. It, um, that's one. I'm probably paying themselves too much. Yeah, right. right. And it's, it, things that blow businesses up are people. So, uh, so a lot of that comes down to the expectations of what this business is going to give them. Okay. Do you think that when, when you say how people pay themselves, do you think it's kind of rooted in a little bit of an entitlement mentality of people thinking they, well, I've worked really hard for three years, I should be paying myself two hundred grand? Or no, this is more when they when they start. It's like, well, I'm currently you know a, a, an X Y Z person being paid one hundred and sixty grand a year. I, yeah. I mean, this is the world you're like, here. I can't possibly move and have a startup unless I get paid the same. It's like, well, stay in your job. Yeah, we don't want you. Yeah. So. Um, Suck it up. It's going to be tough for a couple of years, buttercup. Yep. So. Buckle up, Dorothy. Kansas is about to go bye-bye. That's it. Yeah, right. And your two greatest lessons that you've taken from business that you think, you know, if there was two golden gems of wisdom that Steve Baxter could share with the rest of the world for people in business, like what would that be? I know it's a big ask. Yeah, no, it is. It's one of these questions you, you know, I have I a lot of trouble answering because yeah. it's just um, I've always been more of a coal face guy. I'm sort of you know, what's when, the problem? Let's deal with that. Yeah, well, no, when you're at, you know when you're at the well, yeah, I suppose you know when you're at the coal facing prices are high, you start cutting coal, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, two big lessons out of business. So um, you know some, some some throwaway ones. I'm always a fan of just you know know what know, know your numbers. So it's not just your sales stuff, but know what's in the bank, know yep. what you're spending, know how much runway you got left, know when you're going to run out of money. A whole bunch of things. Um, what actually kills businesses is the lack of cash. Mm. You know, the whole fan- bunch of fancy things lead to a lack of cash, but essentially it's a lack of cash. Um, and um, it just comes down to you know, and I, I think that you've got to provide value. Mm. So um, you've got to find that problem to solve that people are willing to pay for and provide that value. A um, bunch of other ones, you know, that, that the customer's never wrong. It's it's which is crap because there's some really shitty customers out there. Um, and they are, you know, consumers. Are you a fan of building businesses though, where there is a level of selection? And I guess it's all dependent on what end of the market you're playing at. But one of the things that I'm quite passionate about is only working with people that I enjoy working with, and you know, basically having a sign on the wall that's like, "This is a dickhead free zone." 
Yeah, you try and do that. You don't, you don't yeah. always get it right, right? No. So, um, no, we don't. If we, you know, we are, the average time between start and successful exits is 8.6 years. Yeah. So, you know, if you're doing a quarterly meetings, that's a lot of meetings you're yeah. sit across from a table with something you don't like. Yeah. So, um, and you may grow to dislike them and yeah. when, by start by liking them, liking them. But, uh, so no, you've got to believe in them. You've got to believe in their skills. You've got to believe in their business ethics and a whole bunch of other stuff. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's a pretty tenuous relationship. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, if, if you're going to invest, for me, if I'm going to invest in, 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 in something like that, I'd prefer just to, to give that to my Macquarie private guys and they can go and knock themselves out and have those awkward conversations. You know, they've got no, they've got no heart. That's why, <laughs> that's, why, that's why you pay them all that money. So. Um, well, did you have a big takeaway from working with Google for a year? Yeah, value. Yeah, look, um, I, it was very little positive for my Google experience. Wow. We were in the red-headed bastard stepchild side of the company. We were in network design, network construction, uh, net ops. And uh, they're full of very smart people who get to do things their way. And you know, the thing about building a fiber network or a telecoms network, you know, people do lots of really cool stuff on the internet, right? You know, they make Google Maps or Google Search or AdWords. There's all these really cool sort of weird brain things, right? Um, when you build a fiber network, it's like building a road. It's flat and black. That's it. They honestly thought you could do it wavy or googly or something. It's like, no, nah, this thing's not flat and black. The car's not going to run. Yeah, right. And it's just like, no, nah, we're going to do it different. No, nah, mate, it's flat and black. We can do that cheaper. Don't get this wrong. And there's, there's ways of that more efficiently and, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But they, they applied too much of the cool googly thinking to, what well, is it really simple? Building five is easy. Right. It really is. So Would you put that under like, Ego or because we Google, we do things differently. Yeah, well, everyone was told that they're the smartest person in the world, that's why they've been hired, so therefore they can do it their own way. Yeah, right. Coming down to actually writing, everyone had their own little system to manage their own little part of the network. I've never seen such a disjointed internal network. Wow. It, it was just, lots of things were surreal about working at Google. Um, you know, lots, you know, lots of money hides lots of evil, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it was very instructive. So, I saw an internal survey there once that talked about how, um, what do you like about working at Google? And people said, oh, yeah, the free bus, the free food, I can bring my dog to work, I can do my clothes at work. Every now and again, George Clooney or some other actor turns up and talks to us. And number seven or eight was, oh, yeah, the job. And I'm like, right, there's a problem. You know, if that's not number one or two, mm. then you're in, you're in strife, right? Yeah, right. So um, I don't think it's actually Google. I think it, it's, it's very synonymous with large American corporations. They tend to throw people at problems and they tend to paper over over issues. Um, for me, if, you know, I, my perfect day, if I think if I could give someone who, you know, who worked on our team and, you know, we employed a perfect day is they get there at 8 or 9 in the morning, whatever time they start, and at 4.30 in the afternoon they go, look at their watch and go, oh, crap, I've got to go home. Didn't that go fast? Like literally the day goes like a blink, which means you've been productive, you've, mm. been, you've been fulfilled, right? Um, You're absorbed in something you love. Yeah, and, and you've probably got something done. Yeah. So, because um, let's face it, if the boss is down your throat all day because you're doing the wrong thing, that wouldn't happen that fast, right? Mm. So, how important is it to do something that you love as an entrepreneur? Um, yeah, pretty important. I mean, that's probably you know, half the reason you, you might do it, right? Yeah. So, um, you tend to be good at it and you, you like it. You start that way anyway. Whether you yeah. finish that way is another story because it can be pretty bruising affairs, businesses. So, um, and not all successful, right? So you can be left, you know, doing something you love. And, you know, I've, I've backed people who's, you know, the, the dream hasn't worked. And, you know, we've, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, well, you know, it's failed, I suppose. And they've come through it and, and probably, you know, hating what they started in some respects, mm. at least hating the journey there for hating what they started. So, uh, but in, in some respects, especially in that tech startup space up in Queensland and, and then I suppose Australia in general, I advocate on behalf of early stage businesses and, 
I'm not out to start lemonade stands. I don't give a shit about lemonade stands. People ask me the whole constant startup versus scale up. You know, I, I, fuck scale up. I don't care about scale up. I, I'm we're we're out to build companies that are going to change the face of the Australian economy. Mm. And you know, if if you want me to work and you all you know through government policy and support, if you want to do stuff that means you're going to grow at ten percent a year instead of eight percent a year, I don't give a shit. We need people growing at ten percent a month. Yeah. So, um, because those businesses that are uniquely Australian, are uniquely tied to a, you know to a, to a piece of footpath here in Australia, will always will be. They might have an element of foreign ownership, but they're always going to be here employing people. It's mm. going to be tough to take a lot of that structural stuff away. But you know, right now, if you look at the front page of whatever smart device you're carrying in your pocket, and, and you work out the companies who own your icons on that front page, mm. work out their market capitalization and how many people they employ. Now, March last year in mind, so I'm holding up an Android here for your audience, right? Well, there's a Unless it's on the video podcast. Um, la- last March when I first did this, those icons, the companies who own those icons are worth $2.6 trillion, employed 540,000 people. Wow. If that was an iPhone, back then it add 900 bill, another 120,000 for Apple, right? Mm. ASX at the time was $1.7 trillion. Give you some concept, right? I haven't even gone to the other pages on the damn thing, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Um, did it again about three weeks ago, $4.7 trillion. 850,000 people. Amazon's responsible for a massive increase in that, in the, in, the, in the people count. Once again, about a trillion for Apple and another 120,000 people. ASX has grown in the meantime, though. It's gone from 1.7 to 1.9 trillion. Wow. So where is all the value in the world going? There's a lesson right there. That's where all the value in the world yeah, is going, right. right? So if we want to be something other than just a consumer of shit that's made elsewhere, yeah. we've got to get with this program and literally working on making good, small Australian businesses okay, medium Australian businesses is not going to do it for us. We yeah. need a we need a bell ringer. We need conglomerates, Atlassians yep. and the like. Yeah, right. Social media, what's your take? That's mm, time consuming. Okay. Twitter's a swamp. <laughs> um, but in terms of, like it's adding that extra layer on the internet, like it is really a, 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 adding a layer of connectivity that either businesses are using well or they're fucking just horrible at it. Well, I mean, we, we, you've seen a shift in ad revenue. You've seen a shift in eyeballs, and you know, you, and I mentor a few people with with um, you know more traditional businesses. And you know, my favourite American barbecue bloke down the road from me, I have a chat with him type thing every now and again. And he talks about how he gets eyeballs into his shop, how he gets people into his shop, and how he finds those eyeballs. And it's no longer radio or, or cinema or letterbox drop, right? Yeah. It's Instagram and Facebook and stuff, right? He's tried everything else. And that's just what works now. Mm. So that it just indicates where things are. Well, you said it yourself, like it's time consuming. And that's that time is people's attention. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people aren't watching TV. Well, you've, seen, you've seen the TV ratings, right? When we first started Shark Tank, we were doing 800s, 900s, and we're doing 400s now. Yeah, it's right. dropped about 80,000, 90,000 a year, in line with free air viewing, to yeah. be honest, right? So, um, I mean, those guys are in la la land. I mean, when, when if, if, probably if, probably when, MBN uh, actually gets their shit worked out and actually gives you a product that people like dealing with and can, you can actually stream stuff fast. They'll yeah. lose another 10, 20% of the audience in the, in the first 12 months of that. And that, that could be the death be the death knell of one of the stations. Um, is, Shark, is Shark Tank, the license is held by? The license is held by, so, so Sony actually owns the format worldwide. Right. Um, licenses it, to, oh, I believe it's a license, I'm only guessing, but you know, 10 have it. Have the license, have the, 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 the franchise here locally. Can you see them ultimately going like direct to consumer like Netflix, Amazon Prime? Yeah, look, I don't know. Stan. I mean, if you ever used the Templay service on Channel Ten website, it's just gross. Fucking it's horrible. Horrible. I oh, know. I've told told everyone from the CEO down. Um, uh, but hey, you know they're smart TV people. 
Do you think social media is is going to be one of those things that businesses need to get a handle on? Like you talk about your barbecue, your barbecue friendly, and I'll you know give you I could rattle off a list of examples. Like we've had one client that does ductwork, right? And they first started working with us, and we're turning over. Well, they're actually at negative two hundred and sixty thousand. Within four months, we got them to positive three hundred and eighty thousand. But then we got them onto Facebook. Uh, and 18 months later, they're doing 7.2 million. Mm. That's a ductwork company on Facebook. You know, mm. I could quote a steel edging company that you know we've taken from 320,000 to 1.2 million. Again, just off Facebook. Mm. And I'm talking, you know, directional drilling, like companies that drill fucking yeah, holes. I have lots of directional <laughs> yeah, of drilling at the time. So yeah, right. right. Yeah, so yeah. you know, we've we've got those companies that you know make, that have made money. We've got guys that, off Facebook, people who grind concrete, you know, make money off Snapchat. And it's mm. like the world, you know, from where I'm sitting, it appears to really be changing in social media. Some people are either really invested in it, you know, or they're like, oh, it's just one of these kind of fad things. But I am curious to know, like, if you think, you know, as a business in the emerging, you know, two th- we're in 2018, like in, you know, in 2001 or 1992, you know, you need to, you need to know newspapers, okay? you need to know direct, direct mail, you need to yep. know radio. Like, I'm just curious, how important do you think social media is going to be as a, a business? You need to fucking know this shit if you want to succeed mm-hmm. in 2018 and beyond. I think yeah, it has been for several years. So, um, so yes, I think it's important. Yeah. Well, that was simple, wasn't it? It's important to yeah. put a nuance around that, right? Yeah, no, that's fair enough. So, Look, lastly, mate, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, but the, one of the things that's really important to us when we're scaling businesses is working really strongly on culture. And for you, the first business, you took that to how many people? Um, it was 65. 65. Yeah. And the, the second business that you sold? I just want to say it was damn similar. I think we probably got to closer to 90. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a, I was a non-exec director in the end. I wasn't. Yeah. A, um, so I was probably got a little disconnected in the last year. But some um, people, they either grow something. It's it like a, closer to 100, but yeah, yeah. It either becomes this adult daycare center where it's like fucking, you know, constantly dealing with the children that are the adults or it becomes this environment where there's some level of a moderate culture. You know, and Atlassian is being held up as the, you know, the poster child in Australia right now when it comes to the, you know, greatest places to work, you know, 1.9%, you know, turnover of team. But I'm curious to know from your experience, like when it comes to the part of the scale, how important is culture to scale from you? It, 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 is, okay, it is important So on the scale side. So you've, you've got to get your business to a point where you can actually affect a culture. Yeah, if you know what I mean. So when it's four or five people in a room, that's hard, right? That's, you're just grinding away. There's no culture. Everyone's just on the tools. So you know, it's probably more when you actually start to stratify. The culture gets more important, and, and you know that can be probably at the at the six to ten people, if you know what I mean. You start to have a few different different teams, but you know, so therefore you're going to sort of you're actually going to click together a bit because your teams work together. If you know what I mean, you can't all work in one group. That's inefficient. Um, and so the culture then has to bind everything together. So um, yeah, look, cu- culture is important. I'm actually going back to Adelaide this weekend for a reunion of my, my first business staff that we're all getting together. We've done it a few times over the years. Yeah, right. I don't know why you go back to Adelaide in the winter. It's <laughs> stupid, <laughs> stupidest idea ever. Um, but it's going to be freezing cold. But uh, we had a very young culture back then. I started at 23 and, and um, you know, sold by the time I was you know, well and truly third, probably 28, 29. And uh, um, we had a very young culture, which, you know, you probably couldn't do nowadays. It was involved a lot of alcohol and carry on. So, um, um, so, but you, you knew that you know there was a, there was a job expected. We had a you know job expected of you. We had a, uh, a very uh, I suppose very tribal. You know it was us against the world, and you know and competitors be damned. So uh, 
Um, so yeah, culture is very important. I suppose we probably started setting that once we once we started, you know, put our first sub managers on, and so right. once you just started to stratify a bit, right. that's when it gets. So important. it was something that was within the sphere of consciousness of guys. This is something we need to make sure we get right because you know one bad. Apple. I think it just started. I think we we didn't set out to have a culture, right? I don't think the same pipe and pipe had a very similar culture. You know, we were just a little bit older, so we just sort of just, you know we actually drank expensive booze, <laughs> cheap booze, right? You know, instead of chips, we got you know prawns. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but you know, we used to we used to party hard. I yeah. think, you know, and so that's they were still younger companies, and that's probably pretty common. I get there's a great company in Brisbane that does they have, they have a, uh, a, a a device based app for for it's called Tender Time and Attendance, and they're an exceptionally young cultured company. And they have literally keggers. Um, you go there, and they, they get put beer kegs on. You go there for parties. Wow. So you know, and and but they're kicking out of the park. No investment. Those guys are just ripping, ripping town all around the world. Four really good young QT grads who just set the world on fire. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, culture is important. I'm not too sure if they actually wanted to do that. Yeah. It was just it was just a, a reflection a reflection of the founders, right? Yeah. Right. So um, quite possibly both. Okay. And Shark Tank, like, is this some is Shark Tank something you really enjoy doing? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um. You know, uh, I, I should be less honest at times because right. you know I'm a couple flogging for some things, and they've 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 edited me a little more uh, in their version of my character this year. Okay. Anyway, so I don't I think it's 100 percent true. I, I come across as you know a, a grumpy, bullying, mansplainer, sexist pig. <laughs> I've copped it all. Um, and when I say we'll go get stuffed. Um, the reality is, is, is that you know you see eleven to eight to eleven minutes of probably an hour and twenty sort of interaction. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And and a lot of you might have seen this. I'm not too sure, but a lot of entrepreneurs who are just doing the wrong thing are so bloody blinking, and you've got to give them a figurative slap in the face. Yeah. Like, Getting to wake the hell up and listen to the advice they're getting. Greater the pain, the greater the awakening. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, um, you know, if you know, if we wanted all sickly sweet advice, we'd have like five Naomi's on the panel for Christ's sake, right? So you know, there'd be no no real advice offered. So. Um, uh, I you know I I I have some tells when I lie and and I know that yeah I don't know if I've still got them and I, and right. I, you know because um, I've just learned that I can't fucking lie so you know I just yeah no your business is shit no your baby's ugly it's all good right yeah so, right have you had any investments pay off from Shark Tank yet yeah very much so yeah right um you know in in in, in the way that they do so we've yeah. had, we've had one returns quite a few dividends um probably at half the investment after th- three years probably half the investment capital in dividends so far okay. So that's yeah, a nice business. So how much capital? It's been going three years now. So yeah. Shark Tank. How much capital have you put out as a result of the? Am I allowed to ask that kind of yeah, question? Yeah, you certainly ask. Yep. Um, we we tend to qualify our businesses as, as as sort of tech startup or not tech startups. We have different way we we qualify our portfolio to be yep. honest. And so um, I wouldn't say to be around about the one and a half million dollar mark um, that you've tipped in personally. Just thinking into yeah, because we don't we don't actually we don't actually split them that way. If you know yeah, what I mean. Right. So. Yep. Um, since that we've got another, uh, you know, if, if the ones close this season, might be closer to two, might be about 1.8, 1.9. What's the failure um, rate of the, like, in terms of due diligence? What, how, how many of those deals fall over roughly? Um, first year, I'd, I'd, uh, six deals out of eight passed. Um, wow. Five should have. We've that's already screwed high. up with one. Um, second year, three out of 12. Okay, that's more like it. Third yeah. year, zero out of six. Yeah, right. So, and this year will probably be two or three out of eight. Do the producers get pissed? Because I know they want a certain level of investment. They want. It's not their money. Exactly. So. Exactly. But I remember reading this on um, fucking, what's the other one? Dragon's Den. And I remember reading some of the contract notes about how they were required to invest a certain amount of money per year. And I remember thinking to myself, that's fucking ludicrous. It's what never if been, it's never, I, I, that's never even come up. I, I don't think that's the case, to be honest. Right. So, um, okay. 
Uh, I know in the US for a while there that the, 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 the TV station was actually taking part of the investment. And I think when Mark Cuban came in season three, he said, no, screw it, I'm not doing that. Two and a half percent, I think, um, yeah. yeah. it costs a lot. You know, I, I probably, my, my, my staff on the Shark Tank DD and main, managing side costs probably 300000 bucks a year to maintain. We've got yeah. to get a return. Of, you know, there's got to be a return yeah. involved in that, right? So... Um, and that's what a lot of people don't see because uh, you know you do hear some people wishing well not all the deals go through but you're spending it's not all. a fucking prize no it's exactly right? like, exactly you last the longest in front of the sharks we should have to give you money no we shouldn't yeah. you're an entrepreneur earn it exactly so um, now there's a lot of I mean it, it's TV right so you understand that 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 channel, you know, the Endemol who create it want to make good art. Channel Ten want good ratings. The entrepreneur wants good um, uh, exposure, and maybe an investment, maybe some mentoring. And you know, I personally want good investments. I see it as deal flow pipeline. The others, yep. I think, have a different rationale to it. Yeah, right. So there's all these tensions that, that that play, and you have to understand that. Some people just don't want a deal. Has it done good things for the personal brand? I think so. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely increased my um, uh, notoriety, um, visibility, I suppose. Yep. So. Uh, um, so yeah, it has done. You know, I'm. You know, uh, I'm also. You know, I've, I'm, I'm, I don't think because of Shark Tank. But, you know, I'm Queensland. I'm Queensland's chief entrepreneur. So, which is an unpaid, sort of two day a week government role. Right. Um, uh, but for, with that, I just advocate on behalf of entrepreneurs. I don't. I don't work with the government. I, I think the government's unchangeable. I think public service is broken, and you, there's very little that you can do. Very little that a guy who didn't finish high school can actually do to change the public service. And yeah, I think right. I can is just like tricking myself. So I get out there and I encourage people to start businesses. Yeah. Uh, I have this amazing bully pulpit, which if you know that, if you know that term, um, bully pulpit is basically you have the pulpit like the priest stands behind you. He can just he stands up and high and he just bullies the shit out of you, right? Yeah, and right. just rants and raves and carries on. The press still listens to me, which is awesome. But I, you know, okay. uh, I do lots of trips outside of Brisbane, so we take I take I, I film a plane up full of uh, really valuable people for networking. We we've gone out to you know up to Townsville, um, Emerald, Richmond, Cloncurry, Mount Isa, Toowoomba, Roma, Dolby, St George, Harvey Bay, Miraburra. We've done all these and we're going up to Whit Sunday soon. I'm, I'm doing Sunshine Coast, which I won't fly to because it's an easy drive. And other places before my gigs up in October and we just go out there and we network. I'm, I'm a huge fan of business networking. Yeah, right. And p- people in business want to network, but the, the poor guys out in Blackwater, you know, when they catch up for their monthly you know, chamber of commerce meeting, it's the same butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, right? I've got nothing against butchers, bakers, candlestick <laughs> makers. But it's the same people in the community, right? Yeah. So we bring out people who have just a different perspective. So last time we went out to Baranoa, we took out um, – a chap called Victor Vicario who's built a hardware accelerator space like a maker space in, in Brisbane and really professional, not one of these horrible sheds, you know, really, really professional and literally it's a hardware accelerator. Um, a lady called Jasmine Robinson who's got this amazing business called Roses, Sauces and Jams. She's got the, just the awesome gourmet jams and she built that from an inheritance, from a backyard business she inherited when her mum passed to, to, you know, turning over you know, many, many mil- millions of dollars. It's an amazing business. She's just a great young lady. Uh, a guy called Ian Mason who was Richard Branson's startup virgin head for a while. And oh, a, a lady from Sydney here called Shannon Devon, Sydney Angel. So she's from from the investment side. Yeah. So we just take these variety of people out and go right. Let's let's just sit down and have a chat. What business do you do? Well, how can we help you? The whole deal. Um, so it's about getting that message of honor, uh, entrepreneurship and enterprise. Um, you've just got to affect one person. Mm. I go to schools a lot. I just know that I'll I'll, I'll talk to ten thousand school kids. Well, at River City Labs, we talk about a different different um values of conversation is it a ten thousand dollar conversation which might be a conversation with a customer where you know you can pick up a, a sale for example you've probably got to have a hundred conversations to get your ten thousand dollar conversation right mm. your hundred thousand dollar conversation that could be a big sale or maybe a small investment you, you've you've probably got to have a thousand conversations to find that one 
And then there's a million dollar conversation. Add another zero, right? You've, you've probably got to have 10,000 conversations to get your million dollar conversation. And that's the only way you're going to do it. Mm. it it's, the, it's, it's, it's the least efficient way, but the only way that works. So um, network, network, network. And when I say conversations, when I mean, you go to an event where there's 100 people, you, can, you, can, you, should, you should try and have 30 conversations and grab 30 cards. If you go there and you're talking to someone, you know you've wasted your time. Go and introduce yourself, understand, you know, tell a bit of your story, a bit of their story. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, advance the course of your own business at the same time. Fantastic. Steve, I know we've gone a little bit over time, but I want to thank you so much for your time. No, no, this no, has no. been a real pleasure. Ladies didn't ask half the questions, though. You no, as I said to you, the, the those, fucking so. producers do this. I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to say what I want. I want to, yeah, I want to get to know Steve. But yeah, it's been a real honor and real pleasure, and I want to, yeah, I want to honor and congratulate the journey that you've been on and what you've created, mate, because it's absolutely exceptional. Thank you for coming on. No, thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews. Make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray. 